glad you're here today as we look at Genesis chapter 50. Well, years ago, before there was internet, uh, before there were iPads and cell phones, one of the biggest joys for me, even as a, a teenager and college student, was to run out in the morning. It sounds kind of dorky when I think about it, but to run out in the morning uh, to the uh, driveway and pick up a newspaper. Bring newspaper in. I like to get it before my dad got a hold of it because he'd read through the whole thing, right? And so look at section A would give you the world news. And it was, for the most part, was, it wasn't slanted to the right or to the left. It was just, here's what happened. Give you the, the, the world news, right? And uh, section B was always the metro area of Columbia. I'd read about that. And section C, I'd spend the most time because that was the sports section. Read all about the, the Gamecocks and the Tigers and high school sports and things like that. And, and then the D section had the comics in them. And so I would go and read some of the comics. I didn't read them all because some of them were... I didn't understand, or too smart for me, or they were too dumb for me. I don't know where they were, but uh, I would read, you know, Garfield, and I'd read Peanuts, and The Far Side, which I always liked, and then some of you are like, what are you talking about, old man? Anyway, uh, and, and then I'd read Calvin and Hobbes, and you might know I'm talking about Calvin and Hobbes. It was a cartoon character named Calvin, a little boy, and he had this, this, this friend who was a talking tiger, his doll named Hobbes. And Calvin was a mischievous little boy, and, and they're having a conversation in one of the strips, comic strips, and, and Calvin says to his tiger friend Hobbes, I feel bad that I called Susie names and hurt her feelings. I'm sorry I did it. And Hobbes said, well, maybe you should apologize to her. And Calvin thought about it, and he said, you know, I thought about that, but I keep hoping that there's a less obvious solution. <laughs> Forgiveness... Uh, is a very obvious solution, but many times we try to come up with another way. We try to come up with another route when we know what we should do when someone has sinned against us. The obvious solution is to forgive them, but it can be hard for us to, and it can be difficult for us to. If ever there was a man who had a right, not counting Jesus, but had a right not to forgive someone, it was Joseph we're looking at today. And so Genesis chapter 50, starting in verse 15. The entire story of Joseph takes place uh, through Genesis 37 all the way through Genesis 50. And it says in verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Father in heaven, we thank you that we're able to come in here today and sing your praises uh, to what you've done for us. 
And Lord, we sing about what you've done for us because we sinned against you. You forgave us through Jesus Christ. And so we worship you and love you. So Lord, we are hypocritical, as we sung about today. We're hypocritical when we don't forgive those who have sinned against us. Because we worship a God that is forgiving by nature, you. But Lord, we struggle with it, so help us today as we look at this passage to show us some truths about people that forgive. Lord, I pray that uh, my words are yours, that you fill me with your spirit. We hear from you today, in Jesus' name, amen. As we look at forgiveness, we need to somewhat define what we're talking about when we talk about forgiving people. So I'm not talking about when someone has not sinned against you. Somebody might have done something or, or, or not done something in your life that might anger you or make you upset, but they might not have sinned. It's possible. So you don't need to forgive that. Okay? So, for instance, uh, let's say that you sent a text to somebody and then they didn't text you back or they didn't call you back and you got a little angry with them. Well, they might have had a very good reason or they might have had no reason. I don't know. Right? Uh, there, there's, there's no, no, no scripture in the Bible that says thou shalt text back or call back. Just, there's, there's nothing in there, right? So, so uh, it, 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 it may or may not be a sin. In, in fact, if you're angry and bitter about them, you might be the person that needs uh, forgiveness from them, right? Uh, you, you might need uh, to forgive for your sin. So, or, or, or maybe you have a, a family event, okay? Maybe you've invited someone to, or a friend event that you invited someone to, and they didn't come, and, or they said they couldn't come, or whatever, and you're angry they didn't make it. Well, they didn't necessarily sin against you, and so you know, telling them that you know, you've forgiven them probably is not the smartest thing to do, because they may not even realize what in the world's happened, right? So now, when we're talking about forgiveness, we're talking about actually someone has sinned against you, okay, what the Bible calls sin, right? All right. And, and secondly, forgiveness is not this idea. I want you to listen closely about this because some of you might have a problem with this. It's not this idea of forgiving yourself. You hear that sometimes. And I know what people mean when they say that. The Bible doesn't talk about forgiving yourself. It talks about God forgiving you and you forgiving other people. right? It, it's, it, the concept is actually nonsensical. It doesn't make much sense. Because you sin against God... You sin against other people. So when people say that, that they need to forgive themselves, what they really are meaning, and I would agree with this, what they really mean is that they have guilt that they need to let go of, that, that they need to kind of move on. I remember when I was in college, I was not a very good college student. I loved college. I did not like studying in class, which was kind of the purpose of college. But I loved the social aspect of it, right? And if the class was interesting, then I liked that class. But, you know, I would miss classes every now and then and miss assignments. But by the grace of God, I graduated and then went to seminary and really enjoyed it because I was called to ministry and did well. And then went and got into my doctorate and almost had straight A's in my doctorate. With, and that's with having three children, right? So I did well when I liked it, you know. But um, I, I still for years would have this dream that I had overslept for a test or I missed a test for years. And I remember being in my 30s talking to someone in my church. And I said, I, you know, I just keep having this recurring dream that I like, you know, you know missed it. And I, and I graduated college. I have the degree, you know, my wife was there and we have proof of it. And and uh, went and got my master's and <laughs> my doctorate. Why do I keep having this dream? And the lady said, that sounds like a classic guilt dream. 
She said, have you ever asked the Lord to forgive you for the sin what you did, not taking college seriously and squandering time and money? You just ever say, Lord, forgive me for this? I said, no, I haven't. Think about it. Think about it, you know. And so I did. I said, Lord, forgive me for what I did in college, not taking it seriously and this and that. And You know, I never had that dream again. So when people talk about forgiving themselves, what they're really saying is they, they need to move on. And how you move on is you take that sin to the Lord. Say, Lord, forgive me for this. And then you can move on. So let's give some attributes of a, what a forgiving person is. What is a forgiving person? Well, first of all, a forgiving person experiences suffering. So we all are able to be people of forgiveness in here. Amen. See, when you're sinned against, you suffer in some level. That, that, that's why you can forgive someone, because someone has hurt you, right? We've all been hurt. And so forgiving people will be people who've suffered because of it. Look at verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So if you were just reading this passage cold, you'd have no idea what evil was done to Joseph. So I'll give you a quick recap of 13 chapters, okay? Joseph was the youngest brother in his family. He had 10 older brothers, right? His father had four wives, which is not ideal. <laughs> was not ideal. He had two legitimate wives and then two maidservant wives. And all those brothers, which became the 12 tribes of Israel, came from those four women. And so but Joseph was born from Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. Rachel was Jacob's favorite. He, again, if you have four wives, you should have a favorite, but he did. And his other wife was Rachel's sister, Leah, who Jacob did not love. So Jacob did not love Leah because he was tricked by his father-in-law into marrying her in the first place. So Joseph's mother was Jacob's favorite wife, the one he truly loved, and their only son, Joseph, was Jacob's favorite. Now, this wasn't like something that he kept in his heart. He didn't tell anybody about. Everybody knew that Joseph was Jacob's favorite. He treated him differently. He gave them different types of gifts differently. All the brothers knew that the younger was the favorite. Well, one day, Joseph, the favorite, had a dream. And he revealed, mistakenly, or maybe stupidly even, uh, to his brothers, that what happened in the dream. He said, let me tell you about this dream I had. I had this dream that all of you were bowing down to me. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Y'all are all worshiping me. Isn't that wild? Yeah, Joseph probably shouldn't have told him that, right? So they, they kidnapped Joseph because of this. They threw him in a pit and left him to die. The brothers told their father Jacob that he, Joseph had been killed by a wild animal, but some slave traders found Joseph in the well. They took him, they sold him to Egypt. And throughout his time in Egypt, starting at age 23, he experienced highs and lows. Eventually, he was made second in command of all of Pharaoh's kingdoms. It's an incredible story to read about. Through another dream, he knew a famine was coming to the land, so he stored up reserves. And so he was able to do that. But when, when he was 30, after he'd been there for, for, se for seven years... Uh, he actually was released from prison, Egyptian prison for a crime he didn't even commit. So he did well. He was, he was accused of a crime of assaulting a man's wife, his boss's wife. They threw him in prison for seven years. He started running the prison. 
came out of the prison. He told Pharaoh about his dream. And then so seven years of good harvest came. He put Joseph in charge of the whole country. And so at age 39 years of age, two years into the famine, people start coming to Egypt looking for grain. And Joseph had the power to give it to them or not. And lo and behold, who stood in front of him? But his brothers he hadn't seen in 16 years. That left him for dead, that sold him, that were jealous. Can you imagine the emotions he would have felt? Now, he looked like an Egyptian. They didn't know who he was. He had on the makeup and the look for the Egyptians. They looked differently. They were shepherds. But now, uh, but he took him on in. And they lived together for another 17 years in Egypt, all their family members. And, but then his dad died. And the brothers were thinking, now's the time. Now's the time. Perhaps Joseph will get back to us. He's the second most powerful man in the world. And this is verse 16. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And when they told him this, he wept. Now until now there had not been any formal conversation asking for forgiveness. But to be able to forgive someone, uh, the person, as we've said, has had to have been sinned against. And when we're sinned against, it causes pain, it causes suffering. So in order to forgive someone, you have to have pain in your life from them, you have to have suffering in your life from them, and that's what makes forgiveness difficult. That's what makes it difficult. The reason we're having to forgive someone in the first place is because they've hurt us and they've sinned against us, and we don't like them very much. So we need to forgive people. This is why Jesus' forgiveness is at the center of the gospel. See, we can only forgive people who've sinned against us. That's what Jesus has done for us. We've sinned against him. We've broken his law. And so he's forgiven us. If we have nothing to be forgiven for, what kind of Savior is Jesus anyway? That's what he is. He's not just this nice man who lived, who did good things. We sinned. We broke God's law. We deserve an eternal punishment from him. We have no way to be made right back to God without his forgiveness of sin. So when we place our faith in him, that's what we're asking him to do. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive me. Save me. Forgive me. And he does. See, Jesus doesn't forgive us. No Jesus at all. He's no God at all. He's nothing. He's another man. So, a forgiving person experiences suffering. God's willing to forgive us of our sin if we just believe in his son, Jesus. And Jesus suffered mightily for our sins when he hung on the cross. So, he knows what it means to forgive. So, when we struggle to forgive people, say, Lord, help me forgive. He's been in our shoes. He's hung on our cross. He knows what it is to suffer. So a forgiving person has suffered. Secondly, a forgiving person understands God. The more of an understanding of God you have, the easier it will be to forgive. It's just the truth of the matter. The more you understand God, the easier it is to forgive. Look at verse 18. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? With this statement, 
Joseph explains that only God has the, all the power. He's the true judge. And only God has the right to forgive or not to forgive. And he admits that even though he's extremely powerful, he is not God. No matter how much power you have, you're not God. If there's any man in the world who could consider himself God, Joseph was right up there because he had literally the power to, to starve people or feed people. That was the power he had. But even he admits that he is not God. Verse 20, he says this, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph's brothers intended malice against Joseph. They intended evil against Joseph. But God used that situation to bring good to people. Joseph came to Egypt to where he was able to then supply grain and food for the entire known world in their area. Joseph suffered so that many may be saved. Just like Jesus suffered on the cross so that many may be saved. So we see a foreshadowing of Jesus. So in this short exchange, we see two characteristics of the nature of God that, that Joseph gives us. Number one, he says that God is all-powerful. In this short little exchange, he reveals that God is all-powerful. Look at 2 Samuel 7.22. Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you. There is no God besides you according to all that we have heard with our ears. Psalm 95.3 says, For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. So God is all-powerful. He put me in this position. He put me in this area. He's all-powerful. Secondly, but He's not only all-powerful, He is involved. Don't neglect the truth that God is involved in every aspect of your life. And this is why I think people sometimes have a hard time with forgiveness. If you're so involved in my life, why are you allowing this? We'll get to that in a second. God is involved. Psalm 147 says this, that he determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things, not just some things, not just half the things, not just 75% of the things, all things, all things work together for good. He works them out for those who are called according to his purpose. And if you are a believer, you are called according not to your purpose, but to his purpose. And that's what he's saying. A person who can forgive others understands God's role in that forgiveness. So many people can't forgive because they are actually angry at God for allowing their suffering. So they don't forgive. I understand that feeling. You do too. There's been some times where I'm thinking, gosh, Lord, I know you love you, but that's just pretty rough, right? But a proper understanding of God can help us. It can cure us of this because despite what you hear about on television or social media, this life is not all about you. <laughs> the, world wants, the world wants you to think it's all about you. Satan wants you to think that everything is about you. If everything is about you, how can it be about anybody else? How can it be about all of us? 
That makes no sense. It can't be about you. Following Jesus is, is not all about your comfort. God's ultimate will for your life is not comfort. God's ultimate will for your life is his will. That's why you're still here. You're still here because God is using you. Now, again, it's not about you, but he's, it's about him, but he's using you to bless others through him. That is your purpose. See, God has a mission. You are a part of his mission. He desires us to be missional in our living and thinking. What do I mean by that? It means that as when, you when you come into contact with people that God puts into your lives, we are to be thinking about what God is doing in their lives. How can we bless them? How can we pray for them? How can we tell them about Jesus? How can we invite them to church? You can't just want me to do that for you or somebody else. I don't live your life. I don't follow you around everywhere you go. And you wouldn't want that. And I wouldn't want that even though I love you. God puts people in your life that only you can reach, that only you can bless, that only you can pray for, that only you can share Jesus with, that only you can invite to church. That was what it means to live missionally, to have that idea. When someone, God brings someone into your life, your first thought isn't, what do I got to do with this person? Why is this person in my life? I want to deal with them or, or whoever. If they're in your life, they're in your life for a reason. Okay? God has a mission. You are part of that mission. If we all lived missionally, left today with that mindset, we'd have the sanctuary filled in no time. In no time. We'd be building a bigger one. Not because we want a bigger building, but because, as that thing said, people count. People God's put into your life to reach. It's about God and his kingdom. Joseph understood this. Even though God loves you and died for you, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And Joseph understood that even though he was still the second most powerful man in the country, it was still not about him. It wasn't even about Joseph. It was about God. And forgiven people understand God. And finally, number three, a forgiving person provides kindness. A forgiving person provides kindness. So he says in verse 21, So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Part of the reason they were worried about what Joseph was going to do was because they probably would not have done the same. They probably were thinking, this is me, I wouldn't do this. I would do X, Y, Z. But they didn't have the mind of Joseph. Joseph had the mind of God. Clearly in this aspect, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Not only did Joseph deal with them kindly after Jacob's death, he dealt with them kindly this whole time. He had some resentment and shock at first. He, he even tested them some, but he gave them grace. If you go back to chapter 45, when he first sees them, this is what the Bible says happened. Joseph could not control himself anymore. He, he had tested them several times, and they were back multiple times to see him and get grain. And he just couldn't. He, under, he found out he, that there was a brother and all these things that he didn't know about. And Joseph is going through all these emotions and it says, he cried, make everyone go out from me. That's what kind of power he had. He could say, leave the room, and people listened. 
Uh, only my four-year-old has that kind of power, but he did have that kind of power, right? They go to the restaurant and John David comes, everybody leaves, but that's different. Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud. Can you imagine the awkwardness of the scene? There are his brothers right there, and he just starts crying and weeping. The second most powerful man in Egypt, they're thinking, what is happening here? He wept aloud so that all the Egyptians on the other side of the wall in the hallways, they heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And those brothers are just staring, what in the world is happening and what does he say in verse 3? He said to his brothers, I am Joseph. If this was a movie at this point, you'd have a crazy transition. You'd have silence. And he says, is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed, shocked, stunned. They didn't think he was alive. They didn't know where he was. Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now they're probably thinking, this is going to get even worse. Right? But, look what he says, verse 5. And do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. He says, the famine has been in the land two years. There are five years in which there will be no plowing or harvest. Verse 7, he said, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So, verse 8, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. God was behind it all. Now, he could be angry with God for this, but he's not. He said, he has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house to rule over his land of Egypt. And so he says, hurry, go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. This is the best land in the area. He says, you shall dwell there. You shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. And he says, verse 11, I will provide for you. After 25 years of hurt and pain and betrayal and processing this, Joseph forgives his family. Why? Because he has an eternal perspective. He has a godly perspective. Yes, he processes emotions. Yes, he cries. Yes, he grieves. But he blesses his brothers. He blesses his family. Why? Because he has the power to do so. And you have the power to forgive anyone who's hurt you. Anybody. The only person who has the power to forgive those who have wronged you is you. And you have the ability to repay evil with kindness. To repay hurt with healing. To repay heartache with joy. A forgiving person provides kindness. There was a book on the Civil War written years ago. And in this book, the author describes a scene where Robert E. Lee... Of course, he was the commander of the South, right, who had to surrender. He was visiting a, a lady who lived in Kentucky, and she took him to the remains of this big old oak tree in front of her house. We've seen these oak trees around here, some beautiful ones, right? And it had been destroyed in the war. 
by the Yankee, as we call them in the north, artillery fire. Broken limbs that had fallen down. The tree was dead, but it was still standing, been destroyed. So she, she took lead to show him this tree that he would give some type of words of comfort or he would condemn the north or sympathize with their loss. And she explained what, what the bad guys did. She said, what do you think? And he said, cut it down, my dear madam, <laughs> and forget it. Now, this is the general who lost, by the way. And he says, cut it down, my dear madam, and forget it. That's what forgiveness is. There's that tree that you loved. An evil person, a mean person, an angry person. Hurt you. Hurt it. And you want to show everybody, look at this tree. You believe that? God says, cut it down. Move on. I've forgiven you. You forgive them. A forgiving person repays with kindness. Don't let bitterness stay in your life. Cut it down and move on. You can because of what Jesus has done for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what he's done. And as we close our time together today, let us, like Joseph, if there's bitterness in our heart or unforgiveness, let us process it. Let us grieve. Let us wail. Whatever it takes, but let us forgive. Let us cut it down and move on. Lord, sometimes I believe we feel like that there's some kind of power and strength in harboring unforgiveness, that it gives us some type of justification or we feel like we're doing justice, but it doesn't. It just pushes us further and away, further away from you. So, Lord, as we close our time together today, Lord, if there's someone here today that, that has been holding unforgiveness in their lives, that they would just give it to you. That they would just move on. That you would help them. You bring them that healing. You give them that power to do so. And Lord, if there's one here today that's never placed their faith in you, have never asked you to forgive them of their sins, of breaking your commandments and breaking your moral code and make, breaking your character, that you would forgive them today. You would save them. Give them that eternal life and that abundant life you promised. Father, we thank you for the story of Joseph, that even though he hurt in so many ways, he blessed so many others, and he's been blessing believers of Jesus for so many years now as we read your word. Because we can relate. Not really on that level, but we can relate. So Father, we thank you for your word and what it shows us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.